Podcast Midweek Mini. I'm Steve. And I'm Ian. And this is episode five. We're doing gear install with Brian Mize. And this episode, we are talking about installing the ring gear on the carrier and the carrier in the housing. Brian, welcome back to the show. Gentlemen, glad to be back. So, how you been? Been a week. Uh, survived it. Not too bad. Not too bad. It's been not too bad. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I have made it that's one good. more into the world. <laughs> Is it? How's the weather down there? Is it good? Uh, it's it's like walking into a, a nice warm armpit, basically. Oh. Gotta love uh, Houston this time of year. I always use the expression of uh, when you step out the door in the Midwest during like August or July when it's nice and hot and wet. It always use the expression of like walking out the door and getting smacked with a wet oven mitt. But it's it's like a stinky oven mitt too. It's like an old <laughs> one that's like, ugh. it's wet. Yeah. It's bad enough. That's accurate. And it's even worse if you have glasses. As soon yeah. as you open the door from your vehicle, it's instant fog. Instant fog. Ugh. Instant fog. Thanks. Okay, so we are gonna roll into talking about gears and specifically ring gears. And uh, one of the things that you have mentioned before is two cut and five cut ring gears yes uh, ring and pinion anyway um can you elaborate on what that means what is two cut versus five cut so that relates to the manufacturing process to actually make the gear uh i'm not gonna sit here and uh i'm not gonna tell you i'm a professional on how the the, the specifics between the two but basically um two cut gears you will know them uh, by the setup specs. They typically have much tighter backlash. So in my experience, uh, speaking in the context of GM axles, a five cut gear will have, let's say a backlash of six to 10 thousandths. In fact, if we're speaking in regards to the GM 8.6, backlash for a five cut gear on that axle is six to 10 thousandths. A two cut gear, which is what came from the factory from 99 on when GM went from the 8.5 to the 8.6 pure end has a backlash requirement of three to six. That's pretty tight. That's very, that's very tight. It's, it's very tight. Yeah. It's, good. Um, it's, it's, uh, and also the difference between the gears themselves. If you look at the ring gear on a five cut gear, the, the height of the gear tooth tapers off towards the ID of the ring gear. Whereas a five cut gear, the tooth maintains the same height from OD to ID or ID to OD, whichever way you're looking at it. The, the, the tooth maintains the same height across the whole width of the tooth. So you essentially get more tooth contact on a two cut gear. Hmm. So if you are building a very high horsepower car, uh, something that's going to see a lot of shock load, like a rock bouncer or something like that, uh, it's not hurting anything to move to a two cut gear to take advantage of the tighter setup specs. Who? And then of course uh-huh. it does. It, it's also nice to have more tooth contact as well to help transfer all that horsepower to the ground. So you're saying that GM moved to a two cut ring gear after 99. Uh, is there anywhere in the aftermarket that we can get a two cut gear? Or is everybody aftermarket five cut? 
So most aftermarket suppliers are going to be five cut. Okay. Um, you can buy the two cut gears from AAM. You can get them in lower ratios. I know on the GM side, you can get them um, pretty deep for the 14 bolts. I think they stop at 410. Uh, don't quote me on that. I think they stop at 410 for the 8.6. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of a, a blessing, and I didn't know this till a few years ago, but uh, RMS gear has a, a, a line of two cut gears for specific axles. The GM 8.6 is one of them. I know they go, they have a two cut 456, a two cut 488. I want to say they have deeper ratios as well. I think it may go down to 513. Wow. Um, I know the, the 488 exists because I had a set in my hands and I put those, I installed those into a street truck that was built to hurt feelings and they installed beautifully. I was I was really impressed that an aftermarket two cut gear installed as well as these did, and um, that truck ran beautifully all the way to the scene of the crash. <laughs> oh, I think that's yeah, the goal. That, that's the goal, though. Did it hurt I'm any saying. feelings on its way to the crash? Yeah. I'm sure it hurt all the feelings. Yeah, that's, the owner's that's... feelings were hurt after the crash. I have seen I have seen what trucks look like in Houston, and for anybody that hasn't been down there to see what the truck scene looks like, it's it. You don't want to hear about one being in a crash. I'll tell you that because most of them down there are gorgeous. Yeah. They don't have rust. That's, that's I a mean, good like, start. Like a shit box around here. Yeah. Isn't a shit box. Oh yeah. Because they don't have rust. You're like, you're like <laughs> top, your top tier, like best truck around here down there is just the run of the mill. Yeah. That's just parked on the side of the road in some neighborhood. Yep. Yeah. Why is a shit box? That's a never mind. Okay, we, I was going to so talk many, about the shit box to rust ratio, but that's like a whole podcast episode. So <laughs> this, this is going downhill. I'm going to need a drink yeah. and push. Okay, back to <laughs> back to ring gears. Sorry, I got distracted by yeah, a shit box. Yeah. It's fine. So, um, okay, so that's two cut versus five cut, and we can get it from RMS in most yes. in some ratios. All right. Yes, so, it's, 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 it's going to be it's going to be limited, but they're available. You just have to ask. I just want to know more about that because I'd heard you say that term and I just didn't understand what it meant. Um, so let's go to uh, we have now. So last week we installed our pinion and we got mm-hmm. it in there and um, everything's set on it. The preload set. It's all good to go. Now we're back to the box picking out our ring gear. What do we need to do? From then on out. All right. Now let's just, let's just be a little bit more clear. So Absolutely. last episode, last episode, we skipped a lot of steps in between what we do with the pinion for setup versus what we do for final assembly. So um, what we're going to assume here is that our pinion is in setup mode as discussed last week. Okay. And right now what we're doing is putting the differential together to set up the gears, run the pattern, and all that. So, okay. So the pinion is in the um, housing, the pinions in the housing with the setup gears or the setup bearings on it. Correct. And, and now we're ready to move to getting the carrier ready so we can do the setup for it. Right. Cool. So once again, I stress cleanliness is key. You want to keep all mating surfaces absolutely clean because you have to understand the, 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 the differential, the, the ring and pinion, that's the last torque multiplication step before the engine power hits the ground. So you definitely want that to be as clean as possible going together. You want the mating surfaces in full contact with each other. So what I like to do is generally the ring gears 
will come with a, a bit of a preservative on them as they should. I'm sorry, not ring gears, but the whole set, the ring and pinion will come with preservative on them as they should to keep from rusting when they sit in a warehouse after being manufactured. So I take time to go and clean the preservative off of the mating surface of the ring gear. This will be the, the backside of the ring gear, the surface that has the ring gear bolt holes drilled and tapped into it. Same thing with the differential. Whether you're reusing the factory diff or you've got an aftermarket diff going in, it pays to take the time to just make sure the surfaces are clean and dry when you're mating these things together. So what I'll do is, you know, brake cleaner is your best friend. And lint-free rags, I just go and clean that off to where it's nice and dry to the touch. For the ring gear bolts, I'll spray a little bit of brake cleaner in them. I'm sorry, the ring gear bolt holes. I'll spray some brake cleaner in those and then hit them with a little bit of compressed air to kind of blow the uh, brake cleaner and preservative mix out. And it generally results in dry internal threads. Then next step is once again, just continually checking to make sure that no grit or dust or any kind of what have you has gotten on the mating surfaces. I'll put a thin, very thin um, amount of oil around the ID of the ring gear. So basically, I mean, I just put a little bit of gear oil on my index finger and just, you know, run it around the ID, just kind of caress that ID, get it lubricated just enough to where there's not much of an issue to get that thing to slide on there. So I'll draw it up with my hands. I'll put two ring gear bolts in 180 degrees opposed from each other, just to kind of act as guide rods. I'll make sure I have an even gap all the way around. What I like to do then is I'll set the assembly in my press and slowly press the assembly together. And once it's together, I'll remove the two ring gear bolts that I originally installed. I'll have all the rest of them with me and then I'll start applying thread locker. Now, the thing to note about thread locker, I mentioned this in an earlier episode, you do not need to coat every thread of the bolt with thread locker. If anything, you need just a couple drops at the tip of the bolt, and then that's, that's plenty to run it down, and it'll hold the bolt in place. Um, you have that meme circulating about uh, the person that tells the mechanic they can get it cheaper down the road, and they coat the bolt fully with Loctite and put everything back together. Yes. You were that guy. No, no, I was not. That, well, I was that guy on accident because I then, had to, I then messed it up and had to take it apart, and it was ridiculous. Please so, refer back to episode one. You need like a right. you need like a drop or two, oh. yeah. Yeah, just a drop or two. Red Loctite is preferred. Okay. You do not have to coat the entire bolt. Just and a- since I mentioned the differential being in the press, one thing to note: um, I use press plates and two by fours. The ring gear teeth are in contact with the two by fours. Mm. You do not press those against metal. Makes sense. Right. But the neat thing is, you've already got it in the press, so. You hold the pressure in the press and it makes tightening the ring gear bolts that much easier. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. Now, like like I said earlier, spring for the 20 ton press, because not only is it 20 tons, but the press bed is wider. So you've got all the room in the world to work around and tighten all the ring gear bolts. And of course, definitely tighten them in stages. Uh, Some some torque specs are relatively low. Um, I talk about the GM 8.6 a lot. That torque spec, torque spec is roughly 65 foot-pounds, so you could torque that in two stages. Uh, 14 bolts, for example, I think the, if I remember correctly, the torque spec is 120 foot-pounds, so you probably want to do that one in three stages. Huh. Um, it's just good practice to do it that way. That way, you, you know you have good even clamping force all the way around, because like mentioned, the differential is the last place for torque multiplication. That clamp load between 
the ring gear mating surface and the differential flange has to be maintained through all power transfer. So ideally the bolts are only in tension. They're not in shear when they're loaded and -hmm. they're just relying on that clamp load between the ring gear and the differential to transfer the power. If it's done correctly. You learn something new every day, Ian. Yep. I just was mind blown there. I was just, every time I install install ring gear, I just give it a couple of ugga-duggas and chip it. The bolt doesn't break. (laughs) You didn't over tighten it, you know? Just as long as there's no gap between the carrier and the ring gear. Yeah. The difference between (laughs) doing things the right way and the send it method is is kind of mind blowing sometimes. (laughs) Oh, and you actually mentioned something. Um, One thing to note, Uh it's cheap insurance to use new ring gear bolts whenever you're doing gears. Okay. Um, The caveat. Do they typically come in the kit or do you need to buy those separately? Do Yes. A full install kit almost always comes with new ring gear bolts. The exception I come to find out is the 14 bolt. Oh, go figure. So the 14 bolt uses, uh, if I remember correctly, it's 12 half inch, 20 ring gear bolts. Um, the first time I had ordered an install kit for those, um, I had noticed ring gear bolts were missing. So I called, I called my parts guy and he said, Oh yeah, that axle typically they don't install it. First off, it's an oddball length. It's something like two and seven sixty fourth, something crazy <laughs> like that. You know, cause whole inches, you know, screw that. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, half quarter, what, what have you, something yeah. that's readily available at a hardware store. Uh, yeah, for sure. But, uh, what this gentleman told me was that you've got 12 half inch, 20 grade eight bolts. The chances of yielding those in regular 14 bolt service is very low. So typically install kits do not come with them. Hmm. Yet again, why you should put a 14 bolt in your rig. No, I won't argue there. 14 I've got one bolt, in mind. 14 bolt and LS swap everything. Everything. <laughs> Front, rear, side to side. Keep two in the Have backyard. Your trailer should be on 14 bolts. Your trailer should be on 14 bolts. Okay. <laughs> there you go. This brought to you by 14 bolt. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we've covered is uh, ring gear installation on the differential. Yep. We've got our bolts torqued. Okay. So now we're going to install the bearings on the carrier. Now, here is where some people have run into problems. Sometimes the length of the the journal off the carrier that the bearing presses onto is longer than the the length of the bearing race. Hmm. So what that means is if you use, say, uh, just something with a flat surface like a race driver to push your bearing on, and you've got it on far enough to where the, the end of the journal is flush with the end of the bearing race. If you look closely, you'll find that the bearing still has a little bit more to go. So at times what I've had to do is I'll take apart the old carrier bearings, pull them off, take them apart to where I have just the race. I'll push the new carrier bearing on as far as it'll go. Then I'll throw the old race on there to fully seat it on the differential. This is, it's a prevalent thing with the GM 8.6. I had a buddy uh, call me and send me pictures in absolute frustration because he put the differential in. He couldn't turn it once it was in. He'd buy, he bound the gears up. I was scratching my head. I'm like, this isn't right. With the shims you told me and that particular carrier, you should have plenty of play. He sent me a picture and I just happened to look. I said, dude, your carrier bearings aren't fully seated on the carrier. There's about a, a 16th to an eighth inch gap between the carrier bearing race and where it's fully seated on the journal. And he looked and you could hear, <laughs> you could hear his reaction over the phone and he was just, 
was not happy because I think he had been <laughs> messing with it for at least an hour before he called me. Uh, oh yeah. He was not happy. So he pulls it out. He presses it on fully. And what would you, and you know, what do you know? It goes in there just like it should. So that's one thing to look out for. I've made the, I've made the mistake myself. I put the differential in and just something's not right. And I look close and it's like, Oh man, carry bearings aren't fully seated because the, the journal is longer than the length of the bearing race. Don't know why they do that, but huh. that's how it is with a lot of aftermarket differentials. So we didn't make setup bearings for the carrier or no? So no, good question. Good uh-huh. question. So we're not talking, I'm not talking in the context of Dana axles. Okay. So this is okay. Gotcha. So, so this is, this is a, this is an axle that uses shims on the outside of the bearing. Okay. Or uses uh, adjusters like a 14 volt. So uh, I just wanted to touch on that because I know some, in some situations, the shim goes under the bearing, and that is a Dana application. In my experience, that has been a Dana application, okay. and I'll, I'll and so we'll I'm glad you that. brought that up. I'll touch on that uh, here in a minute Not because a there's a, a couple other things as well to mention. So, so you've yep. got your bearings on. You've double and triple checked that everything is seated correctly, and so it's time to put the the differential into the housing. So for the style that uses uh, shims on the outside of the bearing races. Um, installation is pretty straightforward. Uh, there's a small little thing that I do that for me makes things a lot easier. So when I first started doing this, I tried to cobble together both shim stacks on each side of the carrier and then install all that at once. Well, that it was a, fun. it was a pain. Mm-hmm. It was a huge pain. So after, after plenty of frustration and some choice words, one day it just dawned on me. Instead of trying to put the differential in with the shim packs on both sides and juggling all that with my hands, what I decided to do was I would put, I would only, I would only put the shim pack on the ring gear side or the driver side and install it that way. And then while that was in place, I would force the passenger side race all the way onto the bearing as far as I can. And that would create a gap to put the other shim pack in. Mm. And then I would, and then I would have the pack thickness basically enough to where I'd be able to push it in about halfway with my hand. And then I would tap it in the rest of the way with the appropriate punch and a hammer. Do you use a case spreader? Not for those, not for um, this style axle. Now you can, Mm -hmm. you can, I've never used one. um, And for this style design, I've never had issue achieving proper uh, carry bearing preload. The idea is to have the assembly in there tight enough to where you can't pull it out with your bare hands. And typically there's no, you can try and measure carrier bearing preload, but it gets tricky, especially if you have a lower gear ratio. I mean, it's going to change based on the ratio because that's where the multiplication comes in. So the rule of thumb is kind of like a, it's kind of like a caveman rule of thumb. You put as many shims in there without breaking them. Huh? Yeah. Was, as many shims as you can about, without yeah. breaking them. I was just thinking like, how hard is it to get those shims down in there? Like if you're dealing with small shims, like in the thousands, like, ah, yeah. So as of late, uh, the shim pack design has changed to where it's kind of a, they call it a super shim. So okay. you have, uh, basically two large pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them has, uh, it's, it's a register fit. It's kind of hard to talk this out without having a picture, but basically the super shim you build it separately and it acts as a single shim when you go to install it. Okay. Is there like a lip around the outside of it? 
basically a projection on the inside. Okay. So there's there's an ID register fit. Oh. And basically you have two two pieces that are basically a hundred thousandths thick. And then what you do is you separate them. You've got the register fit. You stack whatever smaller shim you need in between the two larger shims. Mm -hmm. You put them back together and you have your super shim. Your man, it's hard to say fast. Yeah. Super shim. And then you're able to drive them down between the race and the Kate in the housing without damaging our, your small ones. See, and that's what we try to put our Dana together, the Dana together that way using the shims on the outside and obviously extremely difficult. Plus we had the smaller, like the thin shims on the very outside of the pack. And we ended up folding a shim in the process. Yep. Very frustrating. We, We didn't know that. But yet again, that's why that Dana 44 failed. That's why we had a ring. That's why I had teeth broken off it. I'm pretty sure. So, right. And, and for, for the, uh, for the actual design that uses the shims on the outside of the carrier race, this is, this is Brian's methodology. So there's probably someone out there that's got a better way of doing it. But for me, my experience, if you've got knowledge that Brian's not dropping gear, install one one on Facebook. Yep, definitely. Cool. So we are. So, okay, so that's getting shims and setting our carrier preload on a non-Dana style axle. And then with a Dana style axle, that would require setup bearings? Uh, Yes. So for for shims that go between the carrier and the bearing, that's where it's generally uh, wise to create carrier setup bearings. Just like you do it the same way you do your pinion setup bearings. And instead of trying to put the shims on the outside, you'd put the whole assembly together, shims on both sides. You would assemble the setup bearings and then place the differential on the carrier. So this is where having a case spreader on Dana axles makes things easier. So once again, shameless plug, uh, PEM Racing has a very affordable case spreader on their website. I think it's something around $180. Wow. And it will handle Dana 44 all the way up to Dana 80. Oh, boy. So yeah, it's it's on my list of two buys. Um, but when I saw the price, I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" It's like, sold like, yeah. in the shopping cart, <laughs> right? Yeah, and so um, this is where this is where someone with the experience can correct me. But uh, from what I understand on the case spreaders, um, you have to be careful with this because you do not want to overspread your housing. The housing is kind of important; it serves a lot of purposes, you know, structural mm-hmm. integrity and keeping the housing in one piece, that kind of thing. So. Um, the spreader should come with some instructions. If anything, I would recommend asking. Always ask questions on this. Um, try and uh, consult some data manuals. The last I remember checking is that you would open the house, you would put the you put the spreader in place, you would set up a dial indicator, and basically what you would do is you would spread the housing three thousands. Oh, really? So the the that's not much. No, it's not. But you got you got to think the amount of spring force in a housing is is very high. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it. You need to spread it enough to maintain preload. And even with the the housing spread, you're still fitting that uh, differential in the housing tight. So it goes in tight on a spread housing, and then when you remove the carrier, it just closes that much tighter. I'm sorry. When you remove the spreader it closes that much tighter. Right. That's awesome. So um, I didn't really even know much about a case spreader until somebody else saw somebody else using it. I just went on to 
uh, PEM Racing's website, and you must be talking about the price shipped because it is one sixty five, and that is oh. a steal. Yeah, that's a steal. <laughs> it's nice looking. It's a nice looking spreader. So flip it around. Let's see. Yes, it. yes. and um, oh, yeah, it's kind of nifty looking. Yeah, that's that's and what you uh, and unfortunately yeah. the. I believe the owner of PEM is one of the one of the major contributors on the gear group. Really, so that guy's a wealth of knowledge. Yes, Jeez, you got all the high end people in there. All the knowledge. Uh, the reason that I keep kind of drawing back to Dana Axels when we're having this discussion is because obviously the the bulk of the people that listen to our podcast deal in Dana because of Jeep and Chrysler and. Other things, you know, like when you Dana 60 swap anything. So right. that's why I keep pulling back to that, just making sure that, you know, that that knowledge gets dropped. Well, no, I mean, yeah. Dana, Dana's are everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's a good piece to, to understand. Right. Um, now, just as a caveat, um, some may shake their head on this. I have never used a case spreader gearing a Dana axle. Yeah. I don't feel like it's and, something that you have to have, but it's just a nice tool if you can spring for it. So, Talking to the people that have used one, that's mm-hmm. been their consensus. It's much nicer to use one. Yeah. You can get away with not, but you need to know what you're doing. One of our guests on the main podcast, Derek Lassini, he made his he made a case spreader for his uh, Dana 60 for when he did it. Yes. So, you know, he's just like, it, it was something he wanted to do and wanted to have that available to him. So I haven't used a case spreader on a Dana axle, but what I did do was um, it took some it took some dialing in because you're now trying to install a full carrier with shims on both sides, races in place. If you do not install that square, you can sort of tear things up in the housing. Uh, so it's generally advised if you're not going to use a case spreader, one, know what you're doing. And two, um, apply a thin coat of bearing grease on the outside of the bearing races. And, also in the machined areas where the races are going to slide against and ultimately be seated. Because if you don't, and you've got the, um, the shim set just right, you're actually going to make metal driving that thing in. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want that. So that's why I said, you know, just, I, that's what I've done. Um, if I were to do it, if I'm going to do another Dana axle, I'm definitely buying a case spreader next time. Um, this just, this is my recommendation. I'm putting that out there as something that has worked. I didn't have a failure from that axle. Um, but it's not per Dana procedure. Yeah. So what have we touched on so far? So we've got assembling the ring gear onto the carrier. We've got, um, things to look out for when assembling the bearings onto the carrier. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we've covered a method of using a press to seat the ring gear onto the carrier and then holding said carrier in place while you're torquing the bolts down. We have covered uh, shims on the outside design, shims between the carrier and the bearings. The next thing would be an axle that uses uh, screw adjusters to set backlash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that one, this one's relatively easy. So Super simple. Uh, 14 bolt is the king of this. Um, you can use a spanner wrench or a lot of people have used a nice hardened punch that fits the holes in the screw adjusters. And so basically yeah. you would manipulate those adjusters to set your backlash for a 14 bolt. 
And then once you have the backlash dialed in, you would then tighten the, tighten the adjusters to put load on the bearings. And then the 14 volt has um, some retaining clips that you tighten onto the bearing caps that hold the adjusters in place. Uh, yep. Ford nine inch works the same way. Mm. Definitely recommend using a spanner wrench on that. From what I understand, it's, it's hard to over tighten those. Um, of course you can over tighten anything and right. you know break almost anything. So again, it's, it's one of those deals where, just take your time. Use a little bit of common sense. I mean, if you're bending your tool, tightening up the uh, spanners on the 14 volt, maybe you're going a little bit too much on it. Um, let's see. If you're doing a GM IFS differential uh, for the fronts, mm-hmm. those uh, use the screw adjusters also. What else do we need to do to get these gears installed? So yeah, once once you once you understand how to manipulate um, the differential you're working on for backlash. Mm-hmm then yeah, you're on the pattern now. Um, what you do is uh, you're in setup mode. So we're still in setup mode. You'll dial in your backlash by whichever means the axle is designed for. And then you will run your pattern. The sole purpose of the pattern is to understand where you are in regards to your pinion depth. And what is the recipe for the uh, paint and gear oil mixture? Oof. <laughs> We gave you time, okay? We talked about that, what, a couple, three weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, you yeah, had time. I haven't, I haven't sat down with gear paint and, uh, and oil and measured out the precise ratio maybe, to get that chocolate sauce consistency. We have standards here. I thought maybe you like, <laughs> put just your lab coat on and yeah. got that figured out for us. <laughs> Ruined a couple pans in the kitchen, something, you know? <laughs> no, so basically, you don't want to apply gear, oil, gear paint right out of the tube or right out of a little plastic container that comes in the install kit. It's good practice to thin it with a little, to cut it with a little bit of gear oil. I use chocolate sauce as an example. If it's got a ketchup-like consistency, that'll work as well. Okay. We thin the paint and we put down a pattern. And then, uh, do you want to talk about the arrow indicator? Uh, it's, it's, I'll try my best to put it in words. Yeah. Um, essentially, if you run the pattern and your pinion is too deep, it will have an appearance of a setting sun if you look at it closely. So basically, you've got a hard line at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and that would be your, you know, if you're looking out of the ocean, that would be the horizon, the hard line at the bottom. And then the, the top dome part is the sun setting. Makes so sense. if you look at that, it's kind of, if you stare at it hard enough, it kind of forms a bit of an arrowhead pointing towards the crown of the tooth. And that's the pattern telling you, I want to move this way. And so what that means is you would remove your pinion and take off shims. And on the flip side, on the other extreme, if you do not have enough depth, then it's basically flipped. You've got the, you've got your, your setting sun turned upside down. So instead of a hard line at the bottom of the tooth, you've got basically a hard line at the top of the tooth or the pattern runs off the top of the tooth. And then you have your upside down dome, which you can look at it as an arrow pointing towards the root of the tooth saying, I want to go this way. And that's where you would add pinion shim. The member of the group, uh, Roy Teeter, uh, he's he's the PEM racing guy. He's the one that oh. diagrammed that out for us. And that was one of my holy crap, that's so simple. I can't believe I didn't know that already epiphanies. It just makes so much sense and it's so much it, easier to read it then. I felt like such an idiot. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, this is what I explained to all the guys that I'm showing uh, how to set up uh, differentials at the shop. I was like, it makes so much sense, man. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> right. Yep. 
See, that's what's so good about having like a group that you can talk about gears in is having that ability. So right, yep. And then, like mentioned, the the beauty of the group and just how it turned out. Um, almost all of the patterns that the group has bought off on, they look the same. Yeah. And that was what that was one of the key things that I was going for because so many times in other groups where somebody's trying to post up a gear pattern, you'll have some you'll have somebody will post up a pattern and one guy will say send it, another guy will say add shim, another guy will say take out shim. And I mean, you'll get three or four different ways of 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 adjustment along with the dude saying, oh, send it, run it all day long. Yeah. And it's just like, man, there's so much inconsistency here. What is a newbie supposed to do with this kind of direction? So that that was the kind of the the point behind the group. And uh, it's it's been neat how it's been how it's turned out. It it's certainly helpful to be able to get on somewhere. If you're having a little bit of doubt in your pattern or, or doubt in what you're doing, maybe you don't know your next step. You can jump on that group and say, here's where I'm at. What do I do next? And it, it doesn't take very long. And somebody jumps on there and is like, oh, yeah, you just this is your next step. And it's pretty straightforward. Right. Everybody's really nice and friendly, even if you are a noob. But, you know, the, like you said, Pete, the guy, or t- um, Roy, who's somebody who does this professionally, is not going to get on there and flame you for not knowing what you're doing. You know, he's going to get on there to be helpful and, and step you through it. So No, actually, kind of a hidden gem. I didn't know this, but it started making sense. A lot of the guys giving advice they do this for either for a living or significant side income. It's right. not personal vehicles. They're gearing it's other people's vehicles. They're gearing. So they do not, they do not just put something together. That's somewhat mostly acceptable and then send it down <laughs> the road. They, they make sure it's, it's good to go. Right. And other guys that are doing it enough that they have the experience to be able to speak on it. Yes. So that's what, that's awesome. I, the group is just it's excellent and everybody should definitely check it out. You know, if it's something you're wanting to do DIY, you should definitely get in there. Is there anything else we need to touch on in this installation? So once you've run your pattern, um, Oh, one of the things I was going to ask is, uh, what is a common number of times? So you've put this all together and you run your first pattern. How many times do you think uh, for a new guy trying to set something up, you know, what's normal or, you know, if I've installed it, five times like is it am i getting should i get frustrated like am i not doing something right or is that kind of common to have to take a few times to to get that installed more times than not it's common to go through a few iterations okay Uh, if you've done your diligence to make sure everything's assembled correctly again clean workspace yep then um you will have fewer iterations to go through I mean, especially if you've thinned your gear paint. I mean, I can't harp on that enough. Thin your gear paint. <laughs> run Definitely. it with some pressure. Got to run it with some pressure. Yep. Um, typically, uh, three to five iterations on average. You should be able to get something close, if not dead on. Um, very few times have I put something together and had a perfect pattern right off the bat. You know, me personally, I'll, I'll, I may go through just a couple iterations to make sure I couldn't get a better pattern. Oh, really? Um, even if it's close already, you'll go back through and see if you can make it even better. Well, so again, another learning point and a bit of a humbling learning point on the group. Um, there were some people that posted up patterns that I thought looked good. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought looked really good. And then somebody gets on there and says, man, um, try two thousands deeper. And two thousands deeper on a pinion move is very, very small. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, let's see what happens here. And sure enough, the pattern was noticeably different and noticeably better. Really? 
And I, I, I even commented, I said, I cannot believe. And first I asked the guy, I said, how could you see that? <laughs> and I said, I cannot believe that the change there from 2000s. Normally 2000s doesn't make such a big change, but on this particular install, it did. And I was just like, man, okay, all right. Yep. Um, got my attention now. Not that you didn't have it before, but man. Right. Not that we're trying to make perf- uh, perfectionists out of anyone that's trying to install their own gears right out of the gate, but we wanted to be able to have a good pattern that's not going to cause any kind of defects or um, breakage, you know? So it's good to know those things. And it's good to have somebody you can ask to get close, right. get as close as you possibly can as a, as a, somebody who's doing it yourself at home. So how, where are we at here? We've gotten to the point where um, we've got the differential in, in the housing for setup for uh-huh. running the pattern. Uh, we've covered uh, how to dial in backlash and preload for a number of designs. Mm-hmm. And then it's now it's just reading pattern and understanding the moves you need to make. And then once all that's done in a. Once you've done all that in a non Dana axle, then it's done, right? Or no, then you need to pull your pinion apart and put it together correctly with the crush sleeve because we're still in setup mode. Getting our pattern, right? Yeah, that's the that's the only downside. And once you once you can once you get the pattern, you celebrate having a good pattern. You then get faced with reality (laughs) that you have to tear the whole thing apart. And reassemble it with the, all the, you know, the, the fresh bearings yep. and the crush sleeve, depending on the design or your preload shims, and then go into final assembly. Yeah. So, well, that, I mean, but the hard part is done. If you've done your done your work and you've got your pattern right and you have all your numbers there and everything's ready to go, then after every assembly, you shouldn't have too much play, hopefully. Uh, unless it's a crush <laughs> sleeve axle. Uh, yeah. And then it, it it's kind of the the finale with having to crush that crush sleeve and not overdo it yeah. or crush the crush sleeve. Realize you didn't pack the crevice of the pinion seal with Vaseline and the garter spring pops off mm. that kind of thing. That sounds terrible. <laughs> it's Min- frustrating. Minor <laughs> issues, minor issues. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, does that conclude our install? There might be a, maybe a small, a couple of small things that uh, got missed, but um, I would hope that if you're, going to install gears that you're using this podcast as a guide and not your absolute instruction manual. (laughs) Well, let's hope so. And if you have any questions again, I can't stress this enough gear install one-on-one is it's the group on Facebook and you now have a page on Instagram, correct? Yeah. So So. the Instagram page, I'm still working on populating that all Mm -hmm. it shows is just, um, the final setup patterns and the the parameters for them for the specific axle. Mm Mm-hmm. So if anything, that's just a guide on what a pattern should look like. If you get a pattern that looks like one of the pictures on uh, on the Instagram page, and it's the particular axle that the gears are, I'm losing my train here. I if your you. axle matches the picture, then it's it's just a guideline, right? Which is perfect. Like it's a start. It's somewhere to get to, and then from there, just go to the right. group and ask the guys in the group, and they will help you to the best of their ability. And yeah, they like, will. you can't ask for anything more out of a group that doesn't cost you anything to join. Like that's as good as it gets for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like it's a free group and they'll tell you how to do this. Like, that's awesome. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review and a rating. And if you want to go check out www.totaloffroadpodcast.com and you can find us on Facebook at Total Offroad Podcast. We have a Facebook page over there. And check out the Trail Riders group on Facebook. W or <laughs> Total Off Road Podcast Trail Riders. Keep it together for the end, man. <laughs> and uh, 
and go check out and go follow us on Instagram as well at total underscore off-road underscore podcast. Thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you on the trail. Bye.